what I'm embarking upon doing this morning as our message is a little bit of uh, a task because it's uh, I'm addressing a theological concept. And as soon as you start talking about theology, many people start to cringe and start to, oh no, where are we going now? But the reality is, is that theology is about communicating who God is and who people are and how they relate to God. Theological words are meant to do what we can't do with our normal vocabulary, to signify and to explain to people what it means to be a believer in Christ, a child of God. And while we think these things may be easy to discern, you probably will be a little bit scratching your head possibly before I'm through this morning. But even in, in, in intentionally trying to do something, it's surrounded with difficulties for communication. Because what we all already know, you know how much we know, right? Is sometimes a hindrance to what we really need to know. Because what we've already accepted as truth and what we've already come to formulate as our theological construct can perhaps be too small at times or can communicate to beginners in the faith things that we really do not intend to communicate. So today I want to talk about the phrase, in Christ. You notice when you were singing that hymn from hundreds of years ago that one of the key phrases in it was, in Christ. God has predestined that all people in Christ should be saved. That does not mean that God has selected individuals that will be saved or will not be saved. It means clearly that God has predestined that all those who believe in Christ shall be saved. That's what predestined is really about. It's not a specific terms, but for us Americans in our individual Western culture, we love to individualize everything, don't we? Well, some things are bigger than an individual. Another reason why I chose to wear this stole. The handprints of the children at First Frisco when I left their congregation were put on this stole as a gift to me going away. But it's come to mean a lot more to me than that. What it has come to mean to me is that I'm a part of these children's lives. The older of the children who were still called in the children's ministries still remember me today, and when they see me, they know me. The younger of them will hear stories about me, perhaps, after I left, but they will not remember a lot because they were too young, but even their handprints are on here. And as you know me, when I see them and as they're growing up, I will struggle for their names now. But that doesn't mean that I don't know them and that they don't know me. Because the reality is because our lives were intertwined, their life and mine are in some ways connected to the extent that we are one. Which is also a theological truth that God is trying to explain to us over and over in Scripture. We're going to be kind of lighting at the end and also here at the beginning about the importance of words. And one of the words I've been struggling with all week in trying to fathom just what I can say to be meaningful about this word is the word belong. On your shirts it says, the t-shirt you just received, you belong here. And that is something that we want to convey to many people who do not believe that they belong in the organized church today. Many of them and some of them do not even choose to believe that they belong in Christ, that they have not been connected to Christ in a meaningful way. And some of them don't know what belong can mean to them since they don't know anything about, really, 
the church of Jesus Christ on earth. Now, to us, that's overwhelming. We say, oh, well, everybody knows about Jesus. Well, there are billions of people who don't know about Jesus in the world in which we live. There are some in your neighborhood who have falsely gathered and received information, perhaps some of it passed on to them in very inappropriate ways, in which they have come to believe things about Jesus and God that are simply not true. They didn't set out to believe it that way, but that's the way it was presented to them in the lives of people they knew who were Christians. For instance, the parent who goes to church every Sunday, and when they come home and are affected by the abuse of substances, and then take out their anger and their confusion when they're overcome by those substances, beat and harm their children. Those children grow up not just to associate the pain they feel with the alcohol, but they also subconsciously have been given a message. And that message is that the power of alcohol is more powerful than whatever they've got at that church down there where my dad goes or my mother goes. So you see, there are all kinds of messages that we convey with our lives that are not appropriate message for what we're really trying to get across. So in the message I'm bringing today about belonging, I want to be careful to, I hope, Clarify just one phrase. It's going to get to be a real simple sermon because it might be a little different for you. When you read this passage that Cindy just read, <laughs> it, it would flabbergast you to know that out of all those verses she read, really most of verse 3 through 14, if not all, was one sentence for Paul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whenever Paul writes, he wrote, and they, they didn't do sentence structure like we do in our language. It just went on and on and on, and so you have to be very careful about what you derive from those passages of Scripture when you seek to interpret it. But in this passage, one of the things that comes out very clear is he's talking about God in three persons. He's talking about the God, the Father of Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, the one in whom we believe and in Christ through which we have salvation. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, God present with us as a pledge until the fullness of our salvation is realized at the end of time. So really he's talking about the God of the past and of the present and of the future. He's talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not what my message is about today. But that is what's in here. And it's very pertinent to what we're talking about today when we try to explain what this means to be the phrase that I've chosen, in Christ. I remember answering that in a homiletic class many years ago when, as a part of an interpretation of a passage of Scripture that we had to do. In Christ means specific thing to Paul. It's not the most familiar word in the evangelical tradition, especially in the American church, but also in many other churches. Especially in our country, uh, when we talk about salvation, we typically talk about accepting Jesus and having Jesus in our heart, don't we? Now, I'm not trying to convince you today that that's not what happens in salvation. I might quarrel with Jesus as opposed to the Holy Spirit being alive in your heart, but that would have caused your heartburn before lunch, so I don't want to do that. What I do want to talk to you about is this idea of Jesus in your heart, which is scriptural, it is biblical, but it is not as biblical in Pauline thought as is the phrase, in Christ. They do not mean exactly the same thing. In fact, they, they mean something that's a little different, broader, if you will, larger, if you will. It's one thing to choose faith in Jesus Christ and to have Jesus in your heart. But it's something else to have your very life itself in Jesus. 
And I believe that this is much more what has been talked about in Scripture than the former. That in Christ is much more specific and much larger and much more important than Jesus in our heart. And you say, well, that's got to be surely uh, heretic, heretical. Surely pastor can't be saying that. Well, I'm saying it. But I'm saying it because Paul said it. He said it in his scriptures. This happens to be one of those places he says it so well. So if we think about and talk about this phrase, what do we really mean when we say in Christ? When a person is in Christ, it begins to unpack and needs to be defined for us to grab hold of it today. Now, the central motif in Paul's thought, I would argue, is in Christ, not Christ in us, but rather in Christ. The song that you just sang, in Christ, our salvation is in Christ. That is what our salvation is. It is realized through faith. But let's, let's get down to exactly what happens in salvation. It's really, th- through this motif, a double identification. It is identification with the incarnation, Christ identifying with us as Jesus of Nazareth, and about us identifying Christ by faith. We identify with Christ by the faith we have in Christ. God identified with us by coming as Jesus in the incarnation. He became flesh for our understanding of what it meant to be fully human. He came in flesh so that we might understand God. And we come by faith in Christ to a better and clearer understanding of what it means to be God's child. And that all happens because something otherworldly happens when we become in Christ. It's very important that otherworldly something. It was very important for me just this past week when I got a call from someone I haven't really seen in 20 years. They wanted me to come and do Betty Wood's funeral. Well, now, Betty Wood was a person I knew pretty well from 1991 to 1996. I've met a few people since Betty. I've been to a few churches. A lot has happened in my life since I was young 40s to what I am today. And when they called and wanted me to come do her funeral, I was a little surprised. Now, I knew Betty well. Betty, not as talkative as I am, but a very deep thinker. Betty, he would often come down and sit in my office, and we would talk about what was going on in the church or what needed to be going on in the church or in some humorous event that she found pleasure in that she wanted to share with me, and we would chuckle. She was a thinker. She was a child of Christ. And what I got through toward the end of the sermon and saying is I preached the sermon basically about being sure who Betty was, that she belonged to her family, that she belonged to her community, that she belonged to her husband, that she belonged to Jesus. And today, at the age of 87, she belongs in heaven. All of those current realities for Betty through the life she lived in Christ. It was not her living in Christ a way to get to heaven, which, quite frankly, is not found a lot in Pauline thought. There's not a whole lot of discussion about believing in Jesus or having Jesus in our heart so we can go to heaven. But rather, it's about a relationship that we formulate with God because we have faith and trust in Jesus who saves us from our sins, as David explained before that, before that hymn. That need that every human being has because we're all equally struggling. We can never be good enough, moral enough, upright enough to deserve heaven. 
We could only get to heaven through faith. How? In Christ. That was pretty weak, wasn't it? I'm pretty, I mean, you don't sound very convinced. Some of you might be more willing to go to heaven by having Jesus in your heart. Well, let me just tell you something. If Jesus is in your heart, and that's what you're counting on by getting to heaven, rather than in Christ and the fullness meant therein, you've got a problem. Because I'm here to tell you that even though Jesus is in your heart, I see a lot of you that don't look like Jesus at all. Sometimes I see it in church meetings. Sometimes I see it with the stickers on the car of Christians who are driving down East Hebron. You ever see it? You know, when they cut you off or when they wave to you one finger at a time? You know what I mean? You know, those are Christians. They have Jesus in their heart. But Jesus couldn't save them from themselves that moment, could he? But being in Jesus changes those hand signals. Because you see, when you're in Jesus, Jesus is your every thought and your every action. In fact, I would go so far as to say the only way that you can be uh, saved to the uttermost or the only way that you can be sanctified is to be in Jesus, moment by moment, thought by thought, action by action. Because as soon as you depart from that intimate relationship that controls everything for you, then you are subject to your own strength, even though Jesus is in your heart. And I don't want you to be subject to your own strength because you're a bunch of failures. And so am I. And let's take comfort in the fact, so is everyone else. Even when we have faith, even when Jesus is in our heart, it's not enough. But you know, I seldom sin when I'm praying. How about you? I seldom sin when I'm with God and God is with me in such a powerful way that I'm in Christ. That what I'm doing, what I'm thinking is guided by being in Christ. Yes, Christ is in me, but he's more in me when I'm in Christ than when I just say he's in my heart. So when we talk about salvation, we're talking about being in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus because God first loved us. In salvation, God came to us through Jesus Christ. God loves us so much, he wants us all to belong to him. And yet, he predestined in his plan that the only ones who would become a part of his family and truly belong to him would be those who came to him through Christ and in Christ. I don't ever want to appear before the Father as Doug Miller. Well, not for me. If you want to try that, you're welcome to. But when I walk to the throne, I plan to say, I know you can't see me because you only see Jesus, and I'm thankful for that. Because Jesus is my salvation. When Jesus died, Jesus destroyed my death. And so I identify with Jesus. When Jesus arose, he restored my life. And I live not by my own power, but by the very presence and essence of Jesus who's in every thought and every bit of my being when I'm in Christ. Now, when I choose to set my relationship with Christ aside or when I'm forgetful, I still sin. But God came to save me, not because I'm morally 100% perfect on every choice, not because I'm 100% on fire for, for Jesus, but rather because I am hidden in Christ by decree of my creator. Now, I still have to choose him. I have to choose to be in Christ. That's the human element of this. 
But even that is made possible from the West End perspective by the grace of God who gave us Jesus Christ for our salvation. Without Christ, without the grace of God enabling us to make a choice of our will, we would never choose Jesus. We would always choose our selfish self. And some who come to church to become Christians never make it to being in Christ. I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm going to let that worry you all week long. Coming to church, I'm not going to get to heaven and God is going to say, which church did you belong to? I'm not gonna, he's not going to say that at all. I'm going to get there. He's going to look at me. He's going to go, I know you. You chose my son in the year, and he's going to know exactly. I've forgotten already, but he'll tell you exactly. I was about 13, whatever year that makes it. And I've known you at your good days and your bad days, but you've all, you're in Christ. You're part of my family. I'm part of these children's family. I'm part of my mother and father's family, my grandparents. And their memory makes a difference in my life. I am part of the church of Jesus Christ as it's spread out across North Texas and even to other parts of the world. And being a part of them and them a part of me leaves handprints on my soul. It changes my life. It makes me able to do more than I could ever do as Doug Miller. Because you see, we are made to belong. The saddest picture we know on earth is when people feel like they don't belong anywhere. The saddest family experience is one in which children don't feel like they belong. The saddest reality in families that most of us face, and sometimes through another, is when we want so hard for our, all of our family members to belong, and yet some reject our family, reject our family beliefs, and walk away. Nothing is more painful than that. Because when they walk away, they're no longer part of us. They have chosen not to belong. But even that is not as sad as some families. You can't belong to us. God does not do that to anyone. We have to choose not to belong to God because God always looks at us. And by us, I mean humanity and says, you belong to me. How important is that? It's this important. When you walked into this church, it's a good thing you did because you belong here. And you belong here because you belong to Christ and in Christ. And because you belong in Christ, because you walk into this building, this building is different because of the nature of your life. You have identified with God in Christ just as God has identified with you in Christ, sending Jesus for us. God chose us before we ever thought of choosing Jesus because God chose us before the foundations of the world. He predestined a way that he would always be in relationship with his people. And that way, here in these latter times, the last days of the church, if you will, the last days of the earth as we know it, we're in the midst of it because we belong to him. Now, when we think about belonging, Knowing We come in here knowing we belong to Christ, and so therefore we belong in the church, and we belong at the table. 
we have to ask ourselves the question, why do so many people in our culture today think they don't belong in a church of Jesus Christ? Why do so many people in church, in, not in church today, think that God does not love them, even if the thought of God might be true? It's because when they come sometimes to our places of worship where Christians are gathered, some places at some times are not very welcoming. You know, when I came to Carrollton, I'm, I'm watching my clock, watching it roll by, I know. Whenever I came to Carrollton, one of the first gifts that I received from Carrollton occurred within the first couple of months I was here. Because when I came here, I came with, um, I thought maybe the bishop had lost his mind. I thought maybe the SPRC at First Carrollton lost their mind when they said yes. I thought maybe I lost my mind when I said, yes, we'll pick up and move at our age and our place in life to come to Carrollton. But within just a couple of months, I knew something that changed all that. I knew that I belonged here with you during these years, which was a startling thing to me because I was still grieving the loss of the other people I belonged to in preschool. But coming here, you quickly made us feel like family. You accepted us way quicker than you probably should have <laughs> as your pastor. But I hope that we receive everybody that way who walks through those doors in whatever condition they are in in their life. I hope when they come in, they immediately feel like they belong here because I hope and I pray that the church of Jesus Christ will so envelop them with the love that they've received in Christ that those people will also know that in Christ they are loved too. Because that is what sets the church on fire, and that is what makes the church winsome in the world in which we believe, is going the extra mile to let people know they belong here. You say, well, what does that come down to? It comes down to going to the table when, so, when our personal chef has made this awesome dessert, and her husband's cut it into kind of small pieces. Just kidding, Jim. Meant to serve so many, and then the crowd is bigger. And then you eat that first piece of dessert, and you look around and see if anybody knows you already had dessert because you really want another one. And you start toward the table thinking, I'm going to get a second piece of that brownie. I'm getting it. And you get close to the table, and then you turn and look around, and you notice there's some tables with some visitors here, and they haven't all had dessert yet left. So being in Christ... Go back and you sit down and you wait to see if any is left at the end. And because of that, I didn't get a second brownie last week. Thank you. You'll have to keep in the kitchen because I think there are others waiting on that second one too. Welcoming and letting somebody know that they belong here is our calling. And the only way it can happen is when we're like this and not like this. Because of the way they dress, because of the language they have, or because of what they don't know about the church or about Jesus. This, these are the arms of Christ, open to all the world. May they all know that they belong, not only to Christ, 
but they belong at this table, which is a table of remembrance, a table that we celebrate once a month and sometimes on special occasions, a table where when we gather around it, we rehearse the liturgy of remembering Christ's death and resurrection. Because as we say in our liturgy, for the resurrection, for the services of death and resurrection, in dying, Christ destroyed our death because our lives are intertwined with his. We are in Christ. When he arose, when he lived, our life is intertwined with Christ. So in dying, he destroyed our death. In living, he restored our life. That's what it means to be in Christ. And that eternal life has begun even now. And we'll be celebrating until the fullness of time. Bow with me now. Oh, Lord, our God, we confess that you may not always say it exactly right, this being in Christ. And sometimes we don't always live up to it. But we know, Lord, that being in Christ, covered by the blood of our Savior who suffered and died for us, but who raised, was risen from that grave victorious. And in his victorious raising, he raised our lives with him. And so we come day today to remember through the celebration of these sacraments, these elements of the earth, this juice and these bread, that even as we take and eat and take and drink, we are in Christ, who is in us, and who wants to be out in the world with us. Call out your church, Lord, that all might know that they are welcome and that they belong to a Savior, to a Creator, to the church, to one another. For it's in Christ's name.